Well, good evening. Great to have you here tonight. Yeah, Harvey, that's a great smile. I don't know what Ollie thought there was no interaction. Didn't you see Harvey's smile, Ollie? That is awesome. Great to have you with us tonight. Ollie didn't mention it before, but I hope you can hang around afterwards. I think we're, what have we got tonight, guys? Um, at the young family at the back for Jono's mission trip. Is it spiders? Ice. Ice cream Sundays. Wow, it was sausages last week, spiders the week before, ice cream Sundays. Amazing. Three scoops for me and Bron, maybe less Bron, more me. Um, put your order in. That'll be great. So I hope you can hang around a little bit later and, and enjoy that. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would come now and, and meet us. We're going to do something pretty amazing. We're going to open up a book that except perhaps for the nice leather binding, looks like many other books, but it is not. It just is not. You promise that your word is alive and active. It's like a two-edged sword. It, there's power here. And when we permit your Holy Spirit to come and administer the words of this book to our heart, we can anticipate an intimate encounter with you. May that happen tonight, Jesus. Would you like to just take a moment, just a brief moment, and invite your heavenly Father to come and speak to you tonight? Invite him to do a work by his Holy Spirit. Through the word. To initiate that intimate encounter that I was just talking about. Lord Jesus, let it be. Let it be. Amen. A number of years ago, I was in an airport, one of the states, northern US, and I remember standing at the conveyor belt, waiting for my bag to come through, and I saw a most remarkable thing. It was a bag, not mine, another bag, not mine, and a toothbrush. Bag, not mine, bag, not mine, and a sock. <laughs> bag, not mine, bag, not mine, and some shampoo. <laughs> and this just continued to happen over the period of about 10 minutes. The friend and I who were standing there just watching this eventually were in hysterics and we could not work out for the life of us, were these the baggage handlers downstairs just terribly bored and having the time of their lives? Or has somebody's suitcase just been absolutely destroyed, the contents of which had accidentally spilled randomly onto the, onto the conveyor belt? As experiences like that, and another one I had in Melbourne um, a number of years ago, watching, watching a, a harried mother with her kids reach for her bag off the conveyor belt, yank it off and watch 
Four little rivets go flying everywhere as she had the handle in her hand and, and watched the bag continue. And at that moment, after a long flight, I'm pretty sure she was about to just burst into tears. A lot of people who could see, you know, her husband wasn't with her, there was nobody to help, she had kids everywhere and multiple bags rushed in to help her, fortunately. But it's experiences such as that that have... Um, when I've been looking for a suitcase, and I don't mind suitcase shopping, actually. I guess we're all out of little vice, huh? But I, I like a good suitcase. And, um, and it's experiences like that, that that make me, yep, test it, sort of twirl the thing around, roll it along the floor, get another one, try the handle several times, look inside, but eventually look at this little card hanging from the handle that says warranty. I, I want to know, how long do you think your product is going to last after the horrendous beating that I'm about to give it. And sometimes five years, not bad, 10. I've even seen a 15-year 15, 15 warranty. And um, I guess suitcases, lots of items we purchase, particularly when we're sort of forking out a considerable amount of money. We, we, love, we love it to come with a guarantee, don't we? If it's going to cost us, we like some kind of guarantee. There is a sense in which, and Jesus is pretty upfront with it, following him, The Christian life, it costs. It costs. And you wouldn't be the first Christian to kind of weigh that up and ask themselves, this is going to cost me. What kind of a guarantee comes with it? We've got... A number of verses. Um, in fact, we'll, we'll put, put some up here. We've been talking last week. We're talking about mission, our mission as a church. We're talking about the whole notion of discipleship. When it comes to discipleship, we, we looked at John uh, chapter 15, verse 8, the, the key verse that our vision statement as a church is based on. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is my Father's glory that you bear fruit, showing that you really truly are an abiding disciple. Now, that can kind of put the pressure on, can't it? Fruit, we're going to bear fruit. Wow, how much fruit? What, what, what does that look like? Is there a guarantee that I am actually going to be able to live a fruitful life? Um, speaking of discipleship, can't go past, can we? Matthew chapter 28. Commandment to go make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Obey everything that I've commanded you. It sounds kind of tough. And in fact, we know from Jesus, Matthew 6, he he talks to the crowds and he says, your righteousness, actually, what I'm talking about here in terms of obedience, obeying all of my commands, your righteousness actually has to exceed that of the Pharisees. Now that seems impossible. What's the guarantee that comes with this? Another another verse that we often look at is the importance of loving the Lord your God of all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And today we're kind of lost sight, haven't we, of what it even means to love. Even this Valentine's Day this week did half of what the world was talking about when it mentioned the word love. Did, Did half of the world actually know what they were talking about? I don't know. But God puts it simply, 1 John 15, he says, well, this is love. This is love, actually, to keep his commands. His commands, by the way, are not burdensome. Everyone born of God can overcome the world. It is, impo- it is possible to keep the commands of God. But, but please, again, maybe you're asking, what's the guarantee that, that comes with this? The call to follow Jesus is a costly call. Where's the guarantee? Perhaps the Christians in Rome... We're kind of asking this question because Paul, when he writes to the Roman Christians, 
This is perhaps, some people call it the jewel of all of his epistles. He addresses this very issue. He talks about the nature of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus, the call and, and what it means. And he talks often in the book of Romans about the nature of discipleship. You know, if you were going to sum it up, you might, you might do it this way. In the words of a friend of mine, John Fletcher, John at that time was the international director of Pioneers. Now, we were leaving Pioneers, the mission organization, and uh, we're stepping down, and I had worked with John a little bit on a couple of projects, so I felt I need to really email him, and I want him to hear this from me firsthand. And, and I emailed and let him know that I was leaving Pioneers to go now and pastor a church, this church. Then it was called Eltham Baptist Church. And John wrote me the loveliest email, thanking, thanking me for a contribution and so forth. But then, as he always does, a word of encouragement. And he said, Stuart, as you go to pastor, remember this. It will be by the Spirit through the Word. By the Spirit through the Word. And that, quite frankly, is not a bad summary of Paul's advice to the Christians in Rome. When we think about discipleship, perhaps... This quote will make a little bit of little bit of sense of it. God makes a disciple by firstly adopting them into his family, empowering them with his spirit, and then guiding them by his word. You'll see it popping up again. Word and spirit, word and spirit coming up again. The spirit of God loves to use the word of God to affect the very sanctification, change, transformation in our lives that is a part of the call of, of every disciple. It's seems to be the way that God works. So tonight, briefly, I just want to talk about, well, what does it mean by his spirit? And what does it mean through the word? Let's, let's have a look at those two thoughts. The first one, by his spirit. Do you remember a couple of, couple of weeks ago, I was sharing with you a passage from Joshua 10. Five kings of enemy nations and their armies were descending upon Israel. God had said to Joshua and his armies, be courageous, go, I'm with you. So they go out, and, and sure enough, as they, they engage these armies in warfare, with the sword, they realize God really is with us. We're able to do this. And in actual fact, we, we may be able to rid ourselves of these enemies who, if we don't do something, they are going to continue to plague us for years to come. But all of a sudden, seeing that Israel has the advantage, they turn and they run and they start to take off, and it becomes apparent that we're losing our opportunity. And the nation could have thought at that moment, this is, this is terrible. We were, we were just having a victory, and now all of a sudden the armies are moving out. We're not numerous enough to be able to pursue them. They might run to a place where all of a sudden the advantage turns. This is not good. And then suddenly... Scripture records this amazing moment where God intervenes. He rains down hail on the enemies. And Joshua 10 tells us that, that God accomplished far more through the hail than the nation of Israel did by the sword in terms of coming through with a victory that day. Certainly there was their part, but then there was God's part, but they were not equal parts. And that same principle in the Old Testament seems to carry through to the New Testament and it's one that Paul picks up on when he talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how that actually works in the, your life and my life in terms of the Christian walk. In Romans 8, verses 28 to 29, we, we read a, a passage of Scripture and, and it'll be somewhat familiar to you. At least verse 28, I'm sure at some point you may have read. But Paul writes this, 
And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Here Jesus is talking about the aim of discipleship. The aim of discipleship is to conform you into the very likeness of Jesus Christ himself. So that, and this is a remarkable thought, so that Jesus would be actually like the firstborn son, but of many. Now, here's the, here's the interesting thought, if that's the goal or the purpose of discipleship. Essentially, God is saying, here is my son, he's perfect, and you too, mere mortals who are caught in your sin, you also can one day be like him. That's the call on your life. Now, we might say impossible, impossible. How could we, how could we possibly ever be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ? Well, that's the work of God. That's what verse 28 is all about. It is God who is working in you, God working all things together for the good of those who love him and accord according to his purpose. What's his purpose? To become conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. The word here in the Greek, God is working all things. God is, God is at work here. Synegel is basically, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, where we get the English word synergy. It's talking about the combination of parts our part, God's part, but not equal parts. God is working here for the, for the good of those who love him and accord according to his name. Yes, this is a synergistic relationship. There is our part to follow Jesus and, and desire to, to want to, put into effect, to act and to will according to his good purposes, to try and be conformed, to be like Jesus. Yep, that's, that's certainly our part, but God's part is to actually impart power to make that happen. I've, I've shared with you before, I, one of my favorite verses is Philippians 2.13. God works in us to act and to will according to his good purposes. What are his good purposes? Well, well that we might, we might be just like Jesus. Well, how does that happen? How do we act and will? Well, God, again, will actually work to help accomplish that. The word work there for... For the action of God means to put forth power into. Philippians 2.13 is saying, and, and I thank Andrew Murray for, for this insight in a devotional book that I picked up of his one time. But God is actually using his power to put forth into us to help us to be the people that we need to be. To fulfill our calling in Christ Jesus. How much power is available to us? Again, I've, I've shared with you a Another favorite verse of mine, Ephesians 1, 18 to 20. This is part of, part of Paul's prayer for the, the Ephesian church. And, and he is praying here that, that we might, might understand the incomparably great power available for us who believe. That power is the same as his mighty strength, which he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the Heavenly realms. I don't know what the path of your sanctification, becoming like Jesus, looks like just at the moment. I guess we're all trying to, aren't we, 
through the scriptures and so forth complete a picture of who Jesus is. But by way of comparison, where do we see ourselves at the moment? And, and here's the question. How much power do you think you need to get from where you are to where you ought to be? Feels a little bit like the sort of question you might be asked in, you know, Bunnings or Mitre 10 when you're buying a power tool. And I'll talk to you about, you know, well, you know, kind of um, uh, what sort of jobs are you going to be using this tool for? How much power do you need? Sorry, that doesn't work for some of you girls, but maybe one day you've been buying a hairdryer. I've seen these things. I don't understand how they work or what they're for tremendously, but depending on your hair, I guess, you might look at varying degrees of power. What sort of a job have you got to do? What are you hoping to accomplish with this, this beastly heater? And how much power do you need? What kind of wattage? What kind of output? Well, how much power do you need to complete your sanctification? Paul promises in this passage in Ephesians, well, I'll tell you, <laughs> don't answer that question. Maybe you can't, but let me just go ahead and tell you how much power is available to you. Remember how one time Jesus was dead? Remember how the Father came and got him and he raised him up to a brand new life, that mortal body? He raised to life once more. He raised him from the dead. Well, there's, there's that power that's available to you. But remember how he was no longer with the disciples because God then caused him to ascend into the heavenly realm. There's a bit more power. But then remember how the Father said to him, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to you and he sat him down at his right hand. Remember that power as well. So the power that took Jesus from dead, raised him to life, ascended him to the right hand of God and put all things under his lordship. That power... That power is available to you and I. So I don't know how much of a job there is to complete your sanctification, but I'm almost certain there's enough grace to do it. That's what Paul promises. And how does he do it? By his Spirit. By his Spirit. That's the work the Spirit of God is accomplishing in us. Now what's his favorite what's his favorite tool, the spirit of God? Oh, it's the word of God. Sometimes we think about this as like a sword, the sword of the spirit. He can use it to attack and he can use it to defend and the spirit of God loves to use the word of God. By the spirit through the word. Turn with me to a very very Special verse, Romans chapter 15, verse 4. On our long service leave, we took a stop in New Norcia, a Benedictine monastery. And I went to, I went to Mass while I was there. Um, had the opportunity to, to meet an elderly monk. He's a lovely guy. And uh, as we were chatting about this and that, he said, oh, come with me. He took me, took me out into a to a hall, a part of the monastery that was not on the tour guide. And he took me out to this hall, which was older than I was, and he started to show me around these amazing frescoes, which apparently were painted by a Spanish monk many, 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 many years ago. And in fact, I was starting to peel, and I was aghast that the hall in which we were walking around was looking just a little bit 
like it was going to fall down and I'm looking at these amazing paintings and think, you have to save this place. But David Barry walked me around the place and, and we stopped at, at one particular beautiful, beautiful painting which was all about hope. And he got a little contemplative at this particular moment and he said, oh, oh, well, you know what, as he was kind of just explaining the Latin to me, you know what this reminds me of, Romans, and he was searching for it, 15.4. And I knew that he was going to tell me the verse, but, but he's quiet for a moment and he just seemed to, I don't know, had he forgotten it? Was he translating it from the Greek which he'd memorized or was he just meditating upon it? I think almost the latter. But then he read this verse and I, I, I've been thinking about it ever since. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. What guarantee is there with regards to this costly call to discipleship that Jesus has for us? Here's your hope. The Spirit of God using the Word of God to call us to perseverance and to encourage us through His Scriptures. He does this so that we might have hope. The first thing this verse tells us about the point of Scripture is that it teaches us to persevere. Last night, a number of, number of you, put your hand up. Who, who went to hear Franklin Graham? Quite a few, yeah. I wasn't there myself, gave my seat up for somebody else. I understand it was packed out. They had to close the doors at a particular time. But um, son of Billy Graham, there's hardly a Christian in the Western world who hasn't heard that name. God used him tremendously, and most people know that over a series of decades, he preached to literally millions of people. And on one occasion, in Seoul, South Korea, to a million people. God used him mightily. He died, of course, just recently, and one question that I think was in the minds of a number of people was he'd probably for the last two decades been very ill. His wife had passed on. Why, Lord, after such a faithful ministry, why not just take him home? Why leave him to be the victim of, of his illness that saw his body become so weakened that he was a shadow of the man that he, that he once was. Why not take him home immediately? Why for some 20 years take him out of public ministry and just let him waste away? When we were in the US, he just passed away and I remember seeing on a, on a stand in a bookshop a, a magazine about his life. And though I'd read his autobiography and his biography, I grabbed this. I thought, oh, that'll be interesting. That'll be, that'll be a good read. And I started to read through it. And this is the thought that occurred to me. There's pictures in there of him meeting US presidents and all sorts of things. There was hardly a, a world leader that he did not have a personal consultation with. 
But the thought that occurred to me was the ministry that he had over the last couple of decades was actually far more powerful than his public ministry prior to that. Why? Because he modeled for the Christian world how to persevere, how to fulfill the commandment of Jesus when when Jesus says how blessed it is for those who remain true, who remain faithful. He modeled what it means and what Scripture commands us to do when it says endure, be faithful, persevere, keep going. All throughout the New Testament, you see these urgings from the various writers, hang in there, stand firm, go on, you can do it, an exhortation to to stay true to the very end. And Billy Graham did that. And he modeled it for everyone. He did not waver. He did not weaken. He did not become frail in his faith. So the Scriptures, firstly, Give us this call to persevere as if it understands exactly how tough it is, exactly what it's going to cost us. And an acknowledgement that this is just not easy. But then we also have this other thought here. The scriptures also are used to encourage us And the word for encouragement here, paraclesis, is it means consolation, encouragement, comfort, exhortation. It's actually literally an intimate call, a calling near. And so it's personal. The message translates it, and I believe it's a really, really good translation, actually. This this word that's in most of our translations here, probably encouragement, the encouragement that Scripture gives us, The message translates it as warm personal counsel. The word of God gives warm personal counsel. That is a very good rendering of the Greek. The spirit of God loves to use the word of God to provide us with an intimate call it's kind of like when we sit down with this book, it's kind of like a big, come, come near. Let me speak to you deeply, deep calling to deep, the deep things of your heart. Let me come and counsel you. It's warm, personal counsel that the Spirit loves to give us through the Word of God. I've often talked about how much as a mission agency, I, I love Wycliffe Bible Translators. I think it's an awesome organization. So why would I break a cup over the head of the deputy director? That's an excellent question. To understand the answer to that, you'd have to go way back to when I was around 18, 19 years of age. I was on a beach mission with the deputy director then, Dave Wake. We're very, very good buddies and we're kind of sharing a room on coffee shop. And, and I guess I knew from about the age of 14 that I'd like to marry this, this young lady here. And in actual fact, tomorrow, we actually celebrate 30 years of marriage. And so, yeah, at 14 years of age, picked it. How do you like that? So that was cool. But it took her a little while to kind of clue in that that was a good idea. I guess 
I, I put it down to spirituality, less discernment, I don't know. But during that period in which Bron did not yet agree with me that this would be a good thing, I guess I started to wonder myself, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, maybe this is not right. And so on this particular beach mission, and somebody else caught my attention, and I don't know, I was kind of pondering these things, ah, bit of a honey, and I, I shared with a mate, I said, you know, I, I just want, just between us, I'm just kind of wondering, what do you think? Anyway, I just thought it was a private conversation in which, you know, maybe he would give me a bit of a sounding board, he'd give me a little bit of feedback, and, and imagine my horror when later on that same night, he came up to me and he said, oh, I went and asked her for you. I felt sick in the stomach. I thought, you what? Like, this is, I've never had, like, mature-wise, a girlfriend before. You don't do that. I wasn't ready for that. I mean, I was just kind of, this is an initial pondering period. And besides which, I've got a bunch of zits I haven't taken care of at the moment. Like, this is terrible. I felt gutted. But what was worse was when he gave me her reply. Yeah, yeah, I read it by her. She said, oh, no, 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 I could never marry somebody like Stuart. And I tell you, I just felt the life sucked out of me. I felt so ashamed. I felt embarrassed. I thought, how could you do that? But, but more than that, I thought, how do I finish this beach mission? We're only halfway through. I'm kind of leading it. This is so embarrassing. I, I honestly, the word shame just kept coming back. I felt so ashamed. In fact, I, I, I withdrew from the group that night. I just, I just went to bed. I, I was gutted. And I zipped up my sleeping bag, which was a kind of a, one of the old ones. They didn't have kind of, you know, a flock full of geese in them in those days. They were just kind of a pretty basic padding. You zip it up there and you're locked in. And this kind of had a square shape. So, um, you know, you kind of had wings like that, you know, like one of those kind of baby, you know, kind of, kind of baby things. And that was, my sleeping bag was like that. And, and so I was pretty much trapped in, but I was feeling, I was feeling kind of like, I need to cocoon. I just need to cocoon. Anyway, I heard, I heard Dave coming in. It wasn't Dave who did this, by the way. He's a really, really good, good friend. He wouldn't have done that to me. But I heard him coming in. I thought, I'm not up for conversation tonight. I'm just going to pretend to go to sleep. And so I closed my eyes and he knew. He knew two things within seconds of walking into the room. He knew, A, I was not asleep. And B, he knew that I was in some kind of a blue funk. And he took it upon himself to get me out of that. So he did what he does best. He just jumped on me and, and plunged his fingers into my ribs and started tickling me like mad. And I was trapped. Now, if any of you have the gift of being ticklish, you know my dilemma. It, it, you, you are not faking it. You cannot stand it. You physically can't. You are no longer responsible for the autonomous actions that may take place after that moment. Well, as he is inflicting the best tickle that, that, that he has ever had. Now, I, I didn't say this this morning. This goes way back. We were in primary school together. We would sit at a desk. We shared a desk in grade three or four. He would lean over, grab my knee at just the right part and squeeze, making me jump onto the desk. Do you know the, the trouble that that man got me into? So here he is and he is tickly. He knows for years he knows how ticklish I am. He is going for it because he's going to get a smile out of me. 
But instead of a smile, there is utter anguish. And I'm saying, stop, 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 stop. Dave, I warn you, I can't control myself. Stop. He would not. He would not listen. He was, he was in the zone. He had me. And there's a porcelain cup to my right. And it's amazing what you can pinch, you know, through the sleeping bag. And it was the only, only tool I had at my disposal. So eventually I grabbed it. I said, Dave, stop. He said, no. One, two, three. And then I smashed it onto his head. Now, my intent was to tap. Please stop. But it actually broke over his, his head. But he did stop. He did stop. That's the, that's the good news. And when, when he regained consciousness, he was really sorry. He, he genuinely, genuinely was. He's a good friend. And I appreciated his attempts to just lighten the mood a little bit. And it probably doesn't get better than that. Do you know what? How many, how many friends do you have who would tickle you to the point of death just to put a smile on your face? As much as I appreciated his friendship, as much as I appreciated his efforts, you know what? They didn't come close to the comfort that the Word of God brought me that next morning. We eventually did go to sleep. I, I shared with Dave what had happened. He prayed with me, eventually drifted off to sleep, but I woke the next morning. And do you know when you've been able to switch off sleep, but then you wake up and it's still right there? I still just, the embarrassment of this situation. How do I lead this team over the coming days? It's probably, in my imagination, probably everybody's talking about it. Anyway, I seriously was thinking of packing up that morning Everything into my old HR holding, and I was going to head home. I just felt incapacitated. I could not lead any, any longer. But I'd have a quiet time before that, and I just opened up to Psalm 25. Very first words I read, it was just a part of my reading. Very first words I read was, Those who trust in the Lord will not be put to shame. I share that story. Because it's one of the first experiences as a young man that I had of encountering what Paul is talking about to the Romans here, that the Spirit of God loves to take the Word of God and use it in such a way that it provides warm personal counsel, like deep calling to deep. And he can do it in such a way that it, it ministers to you and you know you are having an intimate encounter with God. He is present. He is there. And I, I tell you, over the years, I have had that happen again and again and again. Now, it doesn't happen every time. Every morning I open up the Word of God. I can tell you this. I cannot remember the last time when I have opened up God's Word and I have sensed like it just had nothing for me. It did not speak directly to me. And when I say I can't remember, I mean I am talking years and years and years ago. I cannot remember. My experience is that if I open up God's word and take the time to meditate on it, he meets me 
every time. But then there are those special occasions, like on coffee shop, those special occasions when his call is so intimate, so personal, so beautiful, it's hard to put into words. I, I actually wrote a blog on this just recently. It's on our website. Um, I think Caleb might be able to bring it up. And while he's doing that, I think uh, our trustee Stephanie, she's put my blogs in a a very, very prominent position, just go to the webpage, scroll down, scroll down, scroll down, scroll down, scroll down, 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 down. When you're at the bottom, you'll probably see some addresses and keep going, keep going, keep going, and then you'll find my blogs. Anyway, this is the, this is the most recent one, a comforting word, and I, I was just talking about the word for encouragement in this verse. It's a special word. It has the sense of calling you near to inspire or exhort you, kind of like a coach, to comfort or console you like a good friend, to encourage you with good news like an advocate or an attorney. There's an intimate quality to the Word of God that transcends all other writings. It can judge, instruct, correct, rebuke. We know that, Hebrews 4.12. But it also can exhort, comfort, and encourage. This is where deep calls to deep. The Spirit of God using the Word of God to minister deep into our hearts. And when He speaks, His whisper, it's, it's so clear. And His message so precisely attuned to our most intimate needs that we know in that moment He is right here with us. That's the sense of what Paul is saying about how the Spirit of God loves to use the Word of God in our lives. This, this last summer, I was walking along the, the beach at Sea Spray one night, a bit of a favourite a favorite thing for me to wind down, and it was an incredible night. It had been one of those very hot days, but there was this amazing balmy breeze. Bron was there as well, and, and we were just thinking about how much external circumstances can sometimes just minister to the body. This balmy breeze as it just blew over us was just so calming and so, so lovely. And then I thought, you know what? I've been trying to put words to describe the ministry of God's Spirit through the Word when He, in one of those moments, when He speaks to you so intimately, so beautifully, I've been trying to put that into words, the impact that that has on you. What if... I was to use the same language that we use when we describe the, the physical pleasantries. Hey, I was getting poetic, all right? The physical pleasantries of summer. If, if I use the same language that you might use to describe just the a balmy breeze flowing over you and so forth, to describe the ministry of the Spirit as he administers God's Word to you and to I, how would I do it? So I came up with this. It's like... We'll just scroll up a little bit there, Caleb. Thank you. The carefree ease of a summer vacation. The balmy caress of the evening breeze. It's like that. It's like that. I don't know if that means anything to you, but those words for me, I've just got such lovely memories of summer holidays, summer vacations with my parents, and it's just been carefree. Ah. This, you know, holidays for our family, they were fun times. And it was like nothing else mattered. And then when you get those lovely evenings and the breeze comes over you and just, you know, kind of just caresses the body. It just kind of just ah, gives you that wonderful sense of peace and well-being. 
as those things minister to the outer body, God's word ministers to the inner spirit. That's what Paul is saying. That's what Paul is saying. By the spirit, through the word. By the spirit, through the word. Practically speaking, how, how does that look? Um, definitely I could tell you, hey, take time every morning. Better to tune a guitar before you play it, right? Take time every morning to open up God's word and spend some time in it. Um, make yourself accountable to others if you're finding it difficult to just discipline yourself. Um, look around Kurong or a word bookstore or something like that online to, to find something, you know, some devotional that's helpful. Lots of practical ideas. Please, Talk to, talk to an older Christian, one of the pastoral team. We'd love to share with, with you what's blessed us over the years. But let me give you another illustration of how the Spirit of God works in our lives. Um, when I was first at the police academy years and years ago, my, my very first day as a recruit, I remember um, we, we left our rooms and accommodations. We'd, we'd given this uniform, not a real uniform. We weren't real policemen, just a recruit's uniform pretty bland actually felt like a cleaner and I can't nothing wrong with that by the way just came out onto the parade ground and and as we didn't even know how to stand as a squad there were 30 of us and you know oh, do we, I think three rows of 10 or something and we had this drill instructor yelling at us finally we sort of seemed to be doing something that pleased them and they stopped yelling and and the parade started and we're looking a looking not at the not at the recruits, just one lot ahead of us or two lots ahead of us. We're looking at the recruits right at the front of the parade ground who were ready to graduate. It was amazing. It gave me a whole new respect for marching. The drill instructor was just shouting these shortcut commands to them and they just moved as one unit. It was like one body. It was incredible. You know, they would start marching, they would stop, they would turn left, they would turn right, they would... It really was pretty impressive. You know, they were at ease, attention, they were marches. Just watching them, I could not work out how, <laughs> over the next few weeks, how are you going to make us like that? And I would learn. And here was a couple of the secrets. The first one was, within our squad, they appointed a right marker. And he was literally on the right of the squad. He was right at the front, in the front row. And it was always the same person, and he was always right. You might kind of think, oh, I don't think he's right. I kind of think I'm going to kind of stay in, in step with this. Wrong. The right marker is always, always right. And so if you kind of kept your eye on the right marker, you kind of had him in your peripheral vision, you could not go wrong. You just had to copy that. You just have to copy that guy or gal and you'd get it right. But then there was something else. Sometimes you would turn into a configuration where you couldn't see him. Just for a moment, you were blinded. You actually couldn't see the right marker. And in those moments, well, there was something else that helped you. The squad. Everyone else was doing exactly the same thing. Everybody. So the whole squad was, was doing exactly the same thing. If you kind of lost your step or you kind of felt, I don't think I'm in beat or whatever, all of a sudden, the squad actually helped you out. But then even if you got that wrong, there was, there was one last thing that was kind of fail-safe. A nasty drill instructor who was shouting at you the whole time. <laughs> but whilst it seemed a little cruel at first, we got to know the drill instructors and we actually struck up quite a relationship so that by the time we were at the front of the parade ground and graduating, there was this incredible affection built between the drill instructor and us. 
and we were we cherished his voice we knew exactly what he was saying and he actually had to say less and less sometimes hardly a word we just knew we just had to though initially learn to tune into his voice and i would say that's not a bad illustration for the christian life The scriptures give us a picture of our right marker, somebody who is right all the time, right. We might think, oh, you know what? I don't know what's right anymore, but I'm hearing this, or what about this, or what about that? Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's always right. Yeah, 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 I know, but I've just, I've just been, been reading about this. and Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's always right. What about those times in the Christian life where we might have been in a situation where we can't see him so clearly anymore? We've just lost sight, probably temporarily, of, of Jesus, and, and we're not sure actually what is expected of us. God gives us community. He gives us his church. That's what family's for. We stay together as a family, and brothers and sisters in Christ then help give us our cues so we know what to do. And the failsafe is that Christ has given his spirit, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within us. And inwardly, like a drill instructor, he is speaking to all those who truly seek him. I have a hunch that God is a lot more vocal than what a lot of us tend to think By the Spirit, through the Word. Seems to be God's recipe for discipleship. Spirit, the Word. You can trust the Spirit. And the Word shows us how to be obedient. Spirit, Word, trust, obey. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I wonder if tonight there might be somebody who has been wondering about their capacity to do this whole Christian thing. They're not sure. They've been losing confidence. And maybe they've even asked themselves, what kind of a guarantee comes with this, Lord? Your word tells us that your Holy Spirit is the guarantee. Like a seal over a deposit of a great inheritance that is to come. You are able keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the splendor of your glory with exceeding joys. You are able, you can do it. And the Spirit of God is our guarantee. We want to thank you tonight for that reminder. Indeed, the Word of God 
Romans 10.8 is near. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Thank you for placing your word in our heart. Help us to listen to your spirit as he comforts, encourages, and counsels us. Thank you, Jesus.